It's June, which also means people and companies across America are beginning to sport rainbow flags and merchandise. I'm Charles Morris, and this is the Great Stories Podcast. We're in the middle of what many call Pride Month, and that's why I think it's so important to return to a conversation I had with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. She used to be a tenured professor at Syracuse University as a leading thinker in feminist and, quotation marks, queer studies. She often saw Christians protesting her lifestyle as a lesbian and wondered why they hated her so much. But after building a relationship with a humble couple who lived out the gospel in front of her, something amazing happened. Her life was changed forever. I think you'll be blessed to hear how Rosaria met Jesus and eventually married a Christian pastor. And so, without saying anything more, let's meet this special woman. Welcome to Haven Today. We come to you from the west coast of the United States, California to be exact, but we're going today to Durham, North Carolina, the home of Duke University. But it's also the home of Rosaria Butterfield, who's never been on the program before. Rosaria, I feel like I know you. Welcome for the very first time to this program that's all about Jesus. Uh, Thank you so much, Charles. It's just an honor and a pleasure to be with you today. I had to have you on because a few weeks ago at the office, a book with a green wrapper showed up. The gospel comes with a house key. Now that got me to open it. But then the Mm -hmm. subtitle, Practicing Radical Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. Now I know you and your husband, a pastor, happen to believe in hospitality. Let's just get started. Why hospitality? What does that have to do with the gospel? Right, right, right. Well, you know, it's not just that Kent and I believe in hospitality. Jesus does too. So we need to start. We need to start there. There is that, yes. There is that, yes. No, no. No, you know, when um, this book holds my heart really more so than any, any other, because I have lived this from both sides of the fence. And I know that I am saved by grace alone, and I know it is through the hearing of the word. But I will Mm. tell you that had I not spent 10 years living the word with Ken and Floyd Smith, who were my neighbors and a local pastor, I never would have been able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think Mm. that One of the things that's really challenging for people who are on the outside of faith is that that is a very hard and uneven way to live. And I think there are many times that Christians feel that that we're being hospitable because, well, for example, um, you know, our churches are, we post when we're going to worship and we maybe Mm -hmm. post when there's a fellowship meal or things like that. But But I think we need to realize that people outside of Christ, there's an unevenness to life that quite frankly makes it hard to know whether you're going to be sober or safe on those those days when you are invited. But to have an open invitation, which is what Mm. radically ordinary hospitality is, and that's also what Ken and Floyd Smith introduced me to almost 20 years ago, that 
that gives you the safety to come and hear, you know, and ponder and think without some of those trappings of expectation and entertainment that really work against the transparency of the gospel. Mm. So I think hospitality is at the heart of the gospel, but I don't think it's, I don't think when I say hospitality, the rest of the Christian world tracks with what that is. We need to get into that and how the Lord used hospitality to bring you to faith in Christ. You were an English professor at uh, Syracuse University, a prestigious school. Tell us your story. Right. right. Yeah, I was, an, I, was, I was a professor of English and women's studies, and I was also one of the leaders in queer theory, which is a post-structural, post-modern form of gay and lesbian studies. And I was also very happily partnered to a woman who was a professor of psychology, and I had just finished my tenure book, and I wanted to write something that was a little closer to my heart than the book I wrote for tenure. So I embarked on a book on the religious right. I was, I was concerned, and I was frightened, and I didn't understand why basically people like you hated people like me. Let's pause just for a minute here. You even say this in your book, and many of our listeners may not quite understand this, but you said, Christians just scared me to death. We don't always think that we scare people to death when we're Jesus followers. Right. No, I know that. I know that. And you know, I don't think that when I was a gay rights activist, I thought I scared Christians to death. You know, I, Mm. I think that we all could probably do a little better job of of listening to people across our worldview divides. Mm-hmm. But I, I was also the chair of the chair of the undergraduate studies program. And therefore I met with a lot of students. I had a lot of students in my, you know, my my large classes and also my advisory capacity and my home. And so many of the issues that we talk about today that the church is just confronting today after the Obergefell decision that legalized gay marriage, I was talking about with my students 20 years ago. Mm. So, so that's, I think, important to know, too. But, but yes, Christians just scared me to death. And, and I think we, we can understand, in some ways, maybe we can understand why. I mean, if, if you have a worldview that stops, you know, that literally stops after life on earth, makes no claim mm-hmm. for anything beyond this, Social justice has to be your God. How could it not be? Mm-hmm. If there's, because there's absolutely, if you, have no, if you do not have a Christian world in life view, there is no way that suffering is redemptive. Mm. And, and this was New York, and this was during one of the scariest waves of the AIDS crisis, back when, back when AIDS was called the gay cancer. Mm. You know, I, I remember being at gay pride marches and and seeing churches with signs up that said, you know, AIDS is God's curse on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So I, so anyway, I, I, um, the Promise Keepers came to town, and, and I don't really don't know what they did. Maybe my favorite parking spot was taken that day. I mean, it wasn't you know a terrible thing, but I, <laughs> I ended up writing uh, an editorial for a New York newspaper, and the title of it was, "The Promise Keepers' Message is a Danger to Democracy." Mm. Back then. I believed what um, the LGBTQ community believes today, and that's that 
Freedom means license to do whatever you want, whenever you want it. In fact, we really believed that Rousseau was right, that people are born free, but in society, there's chain after chain. And of course, from a Christian world and life view, it's just the opposite. We know that through Adam, we are all born in chains, and only through Jesus Christ is there freedom. So we have two worldviews that are absolutely incommensurable apart from the blood of Christ. Right, right. And yet that brings us together. Right. It does. It does. And, and someone read my editorial, and that was Pastor Ken Smith, a pastor. who was the pastor, a pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. And he, uh-huh. he wrote me a letter, and I um, <laughs> didn't know how to respond to the letter. It was actually the kindest. He wasn't blasting oh, no. you in this letter. Oh, no. He was loving you in this letter. And you'd yes, never he heard was. that from a Christian before in your life, had you? No, that's, that's absolutely right. Well, you know what? It was actually disarming. It was disarming because I knew he didn't agree with me. It wasn't hate mail and it wasn't fan mail, which meant I didn't know where to file this thing. (laughs) And yet, wasn't he even in that first letter offering you an extending hospitality? Well, yes. He invited me over to his home for dinner to talk about these things more fully. And as a member of the gay community at that time, you know, gay communities are quite given to hospitality. Mm. That's in some ways where I learned how to practice hospitality. In, in the gay community, someone's home was open every night of the week for food and fellowship and just standing between you and you know and anything, drugs, suicide, pornography. I mean, all people struggle with the same bag of problems. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and our homes were open daily. And so th- this idea of going into someone's home seemed really normal. I mean, that was the, that was the mm-hmm. one of actually many things I discovered that Ken and his dear wife, Floy, and I had in common. And that one dinner led to two and three. And <laughs> I was at their table at least once a week for two years. You were a regular. Ever. I was a regular. And, and I wasn't the only ragamuffin regular there. All mm. kinds of people walked through that door. Now, it was different. It was different than my home because they... They would open this Bible and they would they would walk talk you through it and walk talk about it and kind of wrestle with it and you know they weren't treating it like a museum piece. It right, was okay right, to open right. it on the on the dinner table with the coffee right next to it. It was fascinating. And yet they weren't trying to hit you over the head with that Bible either. No, they, no. They, they 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 weren't trying to use some program where they they had the plan this the pitch already in mind no. of how they were going to get you to pray the sinner's prayer at the oh, very goodness, first meal. No, I was not a project. They loved you. Yeah, they did, and and I and I loved them, and they and they were themselves. They didn't put on a show for me. One of the things that mm. they would do at their home was sing psalms and and it was that was one of the most disarming experiences because i'm a music person i I went to music school for a year before discovering philosophy and and literature and i i love it and the the music was absolutely beautiful four-part acapella singing and harmony beautiful and the words were just oh i don't know i mean the word Mm, at the time mm -hmm. i would have told you they were disgusting you know Mm. it was it was it was powerful. It was one of the first of many times that I felt that way that I just couldn't put my finger on it. But this was the most disarming 
house and the most disarming people I knew, and they loved me, and they loved me well. And even though I, I mocked them, I was reading the Bible, and, and during that time, I was reading it for the purpose of critiquing it. And during that time, I taught thousands of college students to despise the Bible. I mean, I was the enemy, and they mm. loved me, and they kept loving me. And then one day, the gospel just got to be bigger inside me than I. And when I became a Christian, it's not that I stopped feeling like a lesbian. That, that's not true. I was never converted out of homosexuality. I was, I was converted out of unbelief. Mm. But, mm. but on that day, I knew one thing for sure. Jesus is who he says he is, and he's alive. And the word of God mm. is living too. And I really wanted for God to hear my prayers, and I wanted him to pour into my life this thing called grace and mm. truth and purpose and eternity. So everything changed and nothing changed. And it was like mm. that for a while, and the church was still there. Mm. So hospitality wasn't an event. You know, it wasn't like one of those right, occasional right, poems right. in the seventeenth century with a title longer than most paragraphs today. You know, not at all. It was not like it was regular, it was transparent, it involved both the strangers at the table like me and the family of God also. When I walked through the door of the church, it was not unfamiliar. I seen most of those people at Ken Smith's dinner table. Coming out of being a secular university English professor, living as a lesbian in a world that really would be opposed to uh, traditional Christianity, after coming to Christ, have you ever felt hate from Christians to you? Not that I know of, no. I mean, I think certainly I've had, and I talk a little bit about this in the first book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely right. Convert. Um, right. You know, I think that when when Mary Magdalene joins the church, I you know, and that's that's who I am, right? I think mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. you know, I think that everybody everybody has to just take a deep breath. and And I think we know that we know that we are Christians because of our fruit, and fruit takes time. Mm -hmm. So I think people, you know, rightly so, wanted to see fruit. Um, you know, I do think that Christians have somewhat wacky fears about others. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yes. It isn't just yeah. people who identify yeah. as gay. It's others. Yeah. So I, I do think that, you know, every now and then I still get sort of the question that exposes the the fear, you know, the and I'm just going to say it's a wacky fear. And, and it's a wacky fear because, <laughs> you know what, eternity is written on the hearts of all people. So... We are all image bearers of a holy God. That doesn't mean that that, that doesn't mean that the gospel says, um, you know, and and just exactly as you are is just how you're going to be. Not at all. But right, right. I, and and I think also we so, sometimes evangelism fo focuses so much on telling people, you know, and Jesus has saved you from your sins. But you know, most people. If you're like me 20 years ago or people like your neighbors today, they don't really think they need saving from their sins. They think they need saving from you. Right. You know, I mean, that's just true, right? Yes. So, so I think we need to realize that a, a more helpful way of seeing both our unsaved neighbors, but also the people who come to Christ from 
you know, as my friend Christopher Yuan, title of his book, would say, from out of a far country, you know, for those of us <laughs> who really walked from out of a far country, held, you know, holding on to the Lord's hand the whole way, you know, I think what we need to know and what you need to know about us is that even in our worst days, we still were image bearers of a holy God. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. we really were. Now, we were not reflecting God's image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Only through Jesus Christ did we learn to do that. But, you know, even when I was giving, you know, speeches at gay pride marches, I was an image bearer of a holy God. Mm. I had eternity written on my heart. So I, I would say that's what trips up people. And, and, do they still sometimes get tripped up by it? You know, sometimes. Mm. But but we are mm. called to love each other. You know, I I don't yes. um I really don't like I mean really really really. I really don't like this whole movement that's come of age in the last 5 6 years called the gay Christian movement. I don't like mm-hmm. it whether mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. practicing sexuality or whether it's celibate because it both comes from the same heretical idea that all of your feelings are fine just don't act on it or all of your feelings are fine do act on it regardless of what the bible says and Mm. you know the impetus of the gay christian movement has been to say you know if only we could be visible in the church if only the church would give Mm. us visibility for what our and then you have to fill in the bank the blank struggle what our personhood is, what our ontology, what, you know, whatever, fill in the blank there. But, you know, that's that's ridiculous. You don't get visibility in the church. You get belonging. You get something so much better. Mm -hmm. And where we belong is at the end of the table next to Jesus. And not up there front with whatever our issues are that we want to see promoted. Absolutely. Rosaria, there are many books on how to evangelize, on how to share Christ. But the people that I've known in the postmodern world that seem to be the most blessed in leading others to faith in Jesus do it out of hospitality. I've seen it in the Middle right. East. I've oh, seen yeah. it in uh, Jewish neighborhoods in Philadelphia oh, yeah, yeah, when yeah. we lived there. Yeah. Uh, it, I think you're on to something here, and yet... right. You don't have a program for me, do you? Oh, no, 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 because you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you in this, and it's going to be scrappy and messy, and you're going to do it your way. It's going to be different than mine, but but in a post-Christian world, the the home is the bridge between the world and the church, and it's a bridge that people aren't necessarily going to walk on. They're going to park on it for a while. <laughs> and that's okay. Yes. Because your unsaved neighbors are not projects. They are people. Mm. And, you know, the other thing that I often hear people say is, I just, I don't know where to meet strangers. You know, everybody I know is a Christian. Well, first of all, that's <laughs> delusional. So if you really think that, you know know that Rosaria Butterfield thinks that you're you're drinking the Kool-Aid and you need to stop. Yeah, 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 Everybody yeah. in your life is not a Christian. But but you know, one of the things that that the other the other thing that everyone who 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 knows how to embrace a stranger, one of the things that we all do is we will work with the welfare state to get there. We are home studied. We are government approved to have prisoners in our home. We are licensed to work with 
either foster children or better yet, there's a program that I'm very excited about. It's called Safe Families. It's a, it's a Christian alternative to foster care. It's, it's mm. a whole family approach to foster care. It's phenomenal. And, mm. you know, again, being home studied doesn't mean you have to do anything. It just, it just means that you know what you could do. Mm-hmm. But it, it will be impossible to meet strangers if you think you want, you're going to be able to stay right in your class space. It just doesn't right. happen that way. Not in the world we live in today. That's not for sure. in the world yes. we live in. So, so do, you know, work with the welfare state to get home studied so that you can go to where the strangers are. That's what Jesus did for you. Mm. You know, Jesus didn't. You didn't come to him. He went to you. The issue of human trafficking is one of the saddest and most profound and most dehumanizing realities of this world, the one that we live in right now. It is crucial that Christians understand these these things going on around us so that we can go to where the people are. And then our homes must be, and I know this is hard for Christians to realize, but you need to think about whether your home is safe for strangers. People are always concerned about whether strangers are safe for your home, but really, people of God, it's the other question we have to ask. Is your home safe for strangers, or is it so filled with your idols that there's no room for people who are hurting? Explain that a little more to me. Okay, okay. Well, you know, um, we so we used to have a TV, and then when we were robbed, you know, the robbers, they took the TV. And Kent and I looked at each other and said, you know what? We that's kind it. of a good idea. You know, that's kind of a good idea. I, I kind of like it this way. I think we're just going to say thank you now. And, you know, there's a big hole in the wall, so we're going to put a, a family picture uh, right. right up there. You know what I mean? Right. And, and that's that. We don't have a fancy TV. We don't have something that you might stumble across, you know, that you might want to mm-hmm. watch something mm-hmm. you ought not on. Uh, you know, another thing, and we learned this just as licensed foster parents for teenagers, we, there's no alcohol in the house. Mm. There's just not a drop of it. Uh, now, we don't believe it's a, you know, it's a sin to drink alcohol, but we right. don't think that we could keep a house safe for prisoners or people who were struggling with some addictions if we had it around. We just mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, so it, it, that's, that's it. We also, we also do, we still keep a certain section of the house kind of private and off limits when we have an open crowd. And we do that mm-hmm. because, you know what, if you steal my wallet, you know, I'm kind of bummed out, but the sin is on your head and I really don't want it. To, I don't want to encourage you to sin. Mm. So we, we um, you know, we continue to maintain some of those, some of those old rules that we learned through the welfare state as foster parents. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You know, but you know, because we, you really have to think about it. Is my home safe for someone who's incarcerated and has a five-day pass? Mm. Are there temptations here that would cause someone to, stu- to stumble? And now you might say, hey, well, this is my home. Well, maybe, mm. but you know, Jesus gave it to you. God gave you that home. Yeah, it all belongs to him. Rosaria, thank you for doing something else as well. 
You didn't write a new book where you give me 12 steps that if I just follow these things in offering hospitality, you wrote a different kind of book than that. This is a book about hospitality is a way for grace to flow through your life, God's grace to others through us. Even your messy life, even your life, maybe, let's put it this way, maybe especially your messy life. Mm. You know, maybe people in your neighborhood don't really care very much or think very much about where God is in your prosperity, but maybe they are more intrigued by the question of where is God in your suffering? You know, see, we, we all can handle prosperity, but we can't, <laughs> we all can't handle suffering. That is a, mm. a cruel task master without the kind company of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Let's talk about hospitality from the standpoint of you and your pastor, husband, Kent. He pastors a church in Durham. Let's just talk about what that means. And hospitality includes your family. You want to explain that to us? Oh, yes. My goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are a family by adoption. We have had the privilege of adopting four children including two children out of foster care at the age of, we met them at 16 and adopted them at 17. So when I tell people that I have adopted people who officially stand a foot taller than I do, it's true. It's true. Now I am five foot two. I mean, I, you know, I'm supposed, I'm giving some of that away, but, but nonetheless, I've learned so much about the covenant and Mm -hmm. about second chances and about risking everything and about knowing that sometimes that our image bearing is a is a messy thing remembering that we are working among image bearers even when we see them leave holes in our walls that sort of thing those were good days and so Kent and I mm. were licensed foster parents for 10 years and mm-hmm. um we were not able to adopt all the all of the children that we wanted to but we were able to adopt four you can get by with a minivan. Yeah, then, you can get by a with a minivan. Band. That's true. All right, that's okay. exactly true. Um, so we've been, we, you know, we've we've learned a great deal about what it means to be consistently connected. And now this is just over the over the years that Kent and I have been married. The Lord has always consistently kept us very close to orphans, widows, and prisoners. Yes. Yes. And that has enlivened our Christian life. It has made union with Christ the most central, significant, life-giving dynamite that it is. It has truly made us better understand that the family of God is deeper than a family made up of biology. And it's, of course, wonderful when those two things become one, but but right. they don't yes. always. It's made us come to an understanding that real intimacy is sitting at the Lord's table together and that the greatest Mm. covenant privilege you will have is your covenant of church membership. Um, Those Mm. are some of the things that we learned in no small part through adoption, through the adoption Mm. of of our children, also through the, the Lord's adoption for us, but also for the children that we didn't adopt. So in, in mm. my Bible, in um, if you turn over to Hebrews 13 and you look through verses 1 
few three, you'll see a name there. And that name is Jessica Ashley Gibson. And that's the name mm. of the girl that we didn't adopt. Mm. And that's the name of the girl who committed suicide in a homeless shelter at the age of 21. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm not linking that in some way that cuts God's providence out of it. You know, I'm really not. Right and, right. and I know there are people who might say, well, wouldn't it be better if you didn't have her name in your book? I mean, no, you know, it really wouldn't. It really wouldn't because, because there are risks to saying yes to people with hard problems and there are risks to saying no. And, and so I, I, you know, I can't write about hospitality or think about hospitality, which for us is a daily event around here. <laughs> yes, yes. You invited me over to dinner when I was in Durham once. Janet and I couldn't make it, but, but uh, oh, of yes. Of course, of course. And Charles, don't, don't be offended by this, but we invite everybody over. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I kind of gathered that. Let, let, okay. let's, you, you, you've, you've opened this door for us already. Okay. Some of us may think of the gospel. Some of us who are followers of Christ, born again. Think that the gospel is one thing, but how are you interpreting the gospel? In your book, the gospel comes with a house key. What does that mean? Right. Well, if you have your Bibles open, um, turn with me to Mark 10, and you'll find a little passage there that's very powerful. It starts at verse 28. It ends at verse 30. Um, I mean, I know every word of God is powerful, but the powerful point that I want to make about why the gospel right. comes with a house key comes from this. This is when Peter turned to Jesus and said, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a powerful promise. And that's, that's a promise that says, first of all, that many people who come to Christ will lose their families. And not just people overseas, but people right here. People who come to Christ from the LGBTQ community will lose their family of choice. They will, they will lose many brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. But, but this, this says, this verse promises that if you come to Christ, you will receive all of those back to the number a hundredfold. Mm. Now, what that means is that you child of God, you standing in robes of righteousness someday, you image bearer of a holy God, trying hard at working with Jesus, desiring to grow in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness so that that image reflects perfectly, you are actually not alone. Mm. That what makes you belong to me and to others in your church community is the blood of Christ in you. It says that the most important thing that a believer gets is belonging. 
And to some degree, that verse also reminds you that this hundredfold, it's just not going to drop from the sky. This is not the Ephesians, every spiritual blessing. Those are great. I, lo- I want lots of spiritual blessings, but this is actually pretty material. This verse tells me where I'm going to live and, and where I'm going to uh, have a dinner, a meal tonight, and where I go when I'm really frightened or who, where I recover when I'm, when I'm sick. Mm. It tells me that those verses in Acts, when the, the church is growing and is persecuted, and the family of God needs to know where, the, where to gather, they do it organically, they do it spontaneously, they do it regularly, and they do it inclusively. And it, it tells me, quite frankly, that if those things don't happen, and if the watching world doesn't see hey, look, that's how Christians live. If, if, if not only do Christians not experience this, but outsiders don't see this, then that tells me that, that we have half of the gospel going on here. So right. what I believe is that if Something's the gospel missing. doesn't come with a house key, then you're not sharing the gospel. Mm. And I know people say, well, that really sounds extreme. Well, the cross is extreme. I mean, let me yes. just tell you that yes. there are a yes. lot of extreme things. There are a lot of there are a lot of things that Jesus does that that I think I think the, the word extreme would be a good word to use to describe that. Sure. So yes. I don't think it's it's extreme. And and it's interesting when you just do a search through scripture. There really are only two scriptural examples of loneliness and isolation. One is if you are a martyr, and the other is if you're a political prisoner. And yet we, ugly as this is, we in the church today have castigated how many people to insufferable loneliness? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. why? Well, because we haven't really understood that hospitality needs to be regular and open. Yes, that the purpose of hospitality is to meet a stranger and draw that stranger in, actually to seek the stranger, to pursue the stranger. Right. Draw right. that stranger in and make that stranger a neighbor. And then by God's grace, make that neighbor walk with that neighbor to become part of the family of God. Mm. That's hospitality. It's not, it has very little to do with matching China. I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I just don't happen to have that. I mean, you, know, you won't right, get that right. here, Charles. You know, no, um, no, it, it, no, it doesn't no. really That's tell right. me that everybody sits on a chair. You know, sometimes you're going to, in my house, sit on your, you know, little keister on the floor. <laughs> you, know? you might get a chair or you might have a piano bench or an exercise uh, ball. But, uh, but we need to get to the bottom line, which is the home is a bridge between our lost neighbors strangers like we once were, and the church, the body of Christ. And Mm. to not use our home that way is to deny a great blessing both to your neighbors and to yourself. Now, immediately when I say this, I get questions. Well, does everybody have to do it? Well, well, no. And and I talk about in the book, there were seasons when I couldn't do it. When I had a, you know, my mother dying at home, you don't have 20 people over for dinner. When you have the flu, please don't invite people over for dinner. That's, you know, that's rude. But you're missing a blessing if you don't offer hospitality as a Christ follower most of the time. Absolutely. And if nobody in the church is offering a radical form 
of inclusive mm. hospitality, that says something. That says something. I that's know. a that's that's one of those reality checks. Share a story with us of how you've seen Christ at work in a home or in somebody, especially maybe who's single, who has reached out to others and uh, there was great blessing as a result of hospitality, gospel blessing. Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I, first of all, when I talk about radically ordinary hospitality, I'm not necessarily talking about each house owned by a Christian practicing this, because we need a lot of Christians gathering at our house right now. You know what I mean? That we, if we're going to be engaging our neighbors, we want to make sure that, you know, we've got the family of God here too. So I would say it's, it might have more to do with location or, you know, some other things, but I, you know, we, a couple of years ago came home after, after doing a speaking event on hospitality and we came home then immediately we knew something was wrong. The house had been ransacked. Our, our golden retriever had mm. been beaten up. Um, mm. All mm. of the family, you know, my mother had just moved to a retirement home, which is a great, uh, you know, praise God for that because she wasn't home during this time. But all of the jewelry that she had left for me had been stolen. My, my engagement ring was stolen because I had been doing some gardening that morning and I didn't put it on because I, you know, was always afraid I'd lose it in garden dirt. Mm-hmm. And so we had to realize that while we were talking about loving the stranger, the stranger actually ransacked our house and stole our goods and, and beat up a dog that we had raised from mitten size. And, and it was really tragic. I mean, it was really scary it was frightening. Um, my children were frightened. I was frightened. And we decided at that moment, or Kent did, you know, after we did the things you have to do, right? We yes, yes. called the police and, you know, all the things. And But, you know, our house had always been the house where people gather. So later that night, people started coming. And they were bringing food. I certainly wasn't making food that night. And the word got out then. What had happened? Oh to yeah. You. So, oh, the word. So the word got out. God's people were coming to to yes. to, to offer you some solace. God's people and our and our and our neighbors and our neighbors who do not know the mm-hmm. Lord. We had mm-hmm. we had maybe twenty people here, and so mm-hmm. you know later that night when you sort of tackle things with a mop and a broom and a garbage bag, you know, and you and you do it while you're singing psalms with your with your neighbors. I mean, it was it was a very disarming again experience. And then the next day, because of course we live in a neighborhood, Kent put on our our next door app, which is a social media app that just organizes the 300 houses in our neighborhood. He announced the uh, the robbery and invited everyone to a cookout that Lord's Day after church, so we could talk about you know what was what's going on in our neighborhood. We weren't the first house robbed. We wouldn't be the last. And I know there are people who think, now, just wait a minute. Your husband invited 300 households to, you know, I mean, that's crazy. To your right? backyard, right. Yes. Our backyard, right. You know, well, I mean, it, it, we, we, that's not the only time we've done that. Mm. And many good things came of that, including prayer and, you know, better organized safety protocols in our neighborhood, and also just the sense of inclusivity. It was the first time that we've invited 300 households, but it's by no means the last. Mm. Because what we learned 
we learn two two things. We learn that when you invite everybody, everybody feels loved. And they tell you. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. the older Mm -hmm. ladies who are shut in their, their... their house and they can't move, but they can, you know, they follow things on the computer. They, they tell right. you that they felt loved. And then you find out who's a shut in and you can be some earthly good to them and some spiritual good as well. You know, those are, but the other thing we discovered is really when you invite everybody, about 10% of the people come. So you know, you, <laughs> right. you plan for 30, you plan for 30, you know, um, but that, that came in handy many times over the years. That was the first time. But it was not the last. And it really made us realize that it's really awful to be robbed, mm. but it's actually more awful to be my robber. Mm. You know, because what what we needed was prayer and a new coat of paint on the walls and, you know, a bucket and a mop and um, a replacement window. But what ails my robber can't be fixed by friends bringing rotisserie chicken and pizza hmm. and a coat of paint on the wall. It takes the blood of Christ. It's Jesus. And so yes. even when we lose, even when we lose, the gospel wins. Hmm. And that's that's been a message that has just taken us through. And so, you know, you might not think, well, the night you're robbed would be a great night to you know, have a dinner party. But, you know, it was a great night to have a dinner party. It brought you the comfort Exactly. We were not giving, we were receiving. But because Mm. our house had already been set up to do that, it was normal. You know, and the other thing that is normal, that we want to normalize, is family devotions. Because I know a lot Mm. of people say, well, I'm good at getting people in my house, but how do I, how do I turn the conversation to Jesus? And, And I think that what's been very helpful for us is that Kent has always been a very consistent leader in that way. That at a certain point, it's just what you when, do as a family. It's just what we do every day. Yeah, every day. It, when the dishes get passed up to the head of the table for the kids to take to the sink, the mugs of coffee and the Bibles get mm. passed down the table. You know, I mean, it's a it's an assembly line, and it and you know we've had we've had neighbors say what's what kind of strange ritual is this. <laughs> but we've actually never had people like run and screaming in fear and hide. Never. Yes. We've done right. this for years. Oh. And so I would say, and but you know, back to the question of singles and and other and people who might say, well, you know, where am I in this? I am so dependent on my single friends, by my single brothers and sisters. You are my children's aunts and uncles. For years and years and years before our children came to faith, Kent and I were the only believers in our family. We couldn't really function. We, we, we go on vacation with our, with our single brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we lock arms together. And, you know, I have a friend from church who's a, a young mother, and she hears some of these stories of hospitality, and she thinks it's hilarious because at the same time I'm setting the table, you know, she's putting kids to bed. But she, but she did this amazing thing. I think it's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard of. Mm. She moved to a neighborhood, and when she moved there, she made handwritten cards for all of She noticed a bunch of strollers, thought, well, other people have to be having kids here. You know, other people have kids here too. Mm-hmm. She invited all of the neighbors in the cul-de-sac to come over at 10 a.m. on Monday 
to hear Bible stories and to sing songs. They used, you know, Dana Dirksen's wonderful catechism music. And, and you know, the first time one neighbor came and then the next mo- Monday, a few more neighbors came. And then because she was consistent with it, it was just every Monday at 10 o'clock. Because she was consistent with it, people could come and go, you know, as they could. It's very hard for young mothers to schedule appointments. You never know if somebody's going to be sick or, you know, any of that. So that particular event or that particular activity, regular activity, has become a ministry with her unbelieving, her formerly unbelieving neighbors saying, well, you know, my, my daughter is now singing Bible songs and my husband and I would like to learn more. How do we do that? Mm. Mm. And they also became a care group. You go to the grocery store, I'll watch the kids. So there's more hospitality action going on at 10 a.m. in, in my friend's house, I think, than there is you know, at my house at 7 p.m. It's amazing how lonely, mm. you know, how lonely it is sometimes to be a young mother. Mm. And it's lonely with Christ, but it's really lonely without Christ. Mm. It's, it's hard to lean in to the task that is before you. And that's what my friend did. She gave people through her hospitality a way to see the, the, the glory and the goodness and the power of that. Rosaria Butterfield, would you mind leading us in prayer right now that grace would flow through all of us to reach out to the unloved and invite them into our homes and into our lives? I would be honored. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that when we were strangers and enemies that you rescued us. Lord, how unable we were to even see ourselves clearly. And even now we look through a glass darkly. But Lord, how we thank you that you've called us, that you've saved us, that you have equipped us, that you have blessed us. How thankful we are that you have given us this word of God that is a mirror to both you and to ourselves, that we know ourselves as we read it and we know you as well. And how thankful we are, Lord, that we can trust you and that we can lean on your promises even when the facts of life just wash over us with grief and sorrow and suffering. Lord, Psalm 46 captures for us what that moment is like. And you have anticipated those moments in our life and how thankful we are, Lord, that you have given us the body of Christ and that we belong as a family. How the blood of Christ has washed us clean how we stand in the risen Christ alone, and how we even today struggle against sin. But Lord God, how thankful we are that because of union with Christ, we can hate our sin without hating ourselves, because we are found in you. So Lord Jesus, I pray God, that you would use us mightily in the lives of our neighbors and in our world. I pray Lord that we would be able to see our homes differently, not as castles, but as embassies. Lord, please help us to identify the idols that stand in our way. And please, Lord, may we see conversions today, right 
down the block. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the needs of the children in our neighborhoods. Help us to be alert, Lord, to the people whose mysterious lives are riddled with drug abuse, with violence. Lord, help us to be earthly good to these people. Lord, help us, give us the gospel road into people's lives and give us open doors, Lord. Lord, may we gather around our tables, arms linked, sharing a meal, and then sharing the word of God. Lord, give us strong friendships so that the strong words that we must share can flow across them. And Lord, I pray that the world that our children and grandchildren will inherit will be different because we opened our doors and we left them open. So Lord, I pray that you would make us bold and courageous, more loving than we are. I pray that you would help us to see ourselves clearly and to um, embrace our neighbors warmly. And I pray, Lord, that you would equip us to seek strangers, to find them, to gather them here. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to make neighbors out of these strangers and then family of God out of these neighbors because that's the call that you've given us. Oh God, may each person who names the name of Christ know intimately and palpably that hundredfold that you promise in the Gospel of John. And Lord, may you use us and may you strengthen us for the days ahead. We know we live in a world that is hostile to the Christian faith. We know this is a post-Christian world. Lord, we know that if things go the way they're going, we may wake up one day and be living very much like the early church in Rome. So Lord, I pray that you would equip us to embrace those days and to share the love and the meaning and the purpose of Jesus Christ. Lord, all of our springs are found in you, the psalmist says in Psalm 87. So I pray that you would make strong and flexible and very, very rich those springs so that we can share your love and your life because that is what our life is for. It is in the mighty and matchless name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Rosaria Butterfield, thank you for sharing with us here on Haven today. Thank you so much, Charles. It's been an honor and privilege to be here with you. Thanks for joining me on Great Stories with Charles Morris. I hope this conversation with Rosaria Butterfield gave you a hopeful perspective on how God can work in people's lives, even when it seems like they're on the other side of the picket line. Rosaria is an academic. She's a mom. She's a very sweet lover of Jesus. And I really enjoyed the time we had together when I interviewed her all the way back in 2018. If you were blessed by this interview, can I also ask that you leave us a review? And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But you can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover our other episodes posted on the blog. Thank you so much for joining me again. 
on Great Stories with Charles Morris.